All right, so welcome in, everybody. How's everybody doing? Feeling bright and cheery today. Glad I got a salmon bomber from uh, Aaron to get this episode going. I was feeling a little, little down and out on that uh, mattress that I sleep on in the living room. I'm sure you've seen it on social media. I've decided to move my bedroom to the living room. I don't know why. I quarantined myself in there. I just feel like a little more like quarantined in there. Like shit's really hitting the fan. And I don't know, like the zombie apocalypse. I'd get into this shit, this whole quarantine thing. But I'm getting sick of it now because I guess we have three more months of this in California. I don't know what I'm going to do. I see I'm jealous. I see the Nelk boys driving down to Texas b filming content. I don't know when I'm supposed to be a good guy anymore, a bad guy anymore. I don't know if going out is the right thing to do. I don't know if staying in is the right thing to do. I'm losing my fucking mind. And all the while, I'm staring at Takashi69 on uh, TikTok and Instagram and fascinated by this story about this kid who goes Instagram live and he gets over 2 million people in a fucking Instagram live chat. And he just got out of uh, prison. He was facing serious time. He was a rapper who racketeering charges, connections to murder, just crazy gang-affiliated activity. And he's out of prison because I guess he supposedly ratted on some people. Um, and which he said, basically, would you rat on somebody who kidnapped you, beat the shit out of you, blah, blah, blah. So he went on and on about that. And it looks like he's coming out of this thing with some serious fucking momentum like nothing happened in Takashi 69 is fucking back welcome to 2020 this is fucking nuts I can't take the quarantine anymore the bedroom is staying and uh, we might be taking a road trip boys and, uh, and I welcome in these boys today for episode six let's do this let's go well Peter I don't know if I like the well, Peter, let's get zapped thing, boys. We might have to change that. Sorry. I don't know. I didn't like it that much. You don't like it? I love it. I don't know. I think it could do me a little catchier. Well, like what? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. I just, uh, just, I don't know. I just heard that and I was like, fuck, I think we could. Dude, we could... do your Takashi 69 stupid one time. You stupid! You guys love this fucking rat. I can't believe oh, you guys love him. No, I don't Bitch, love it. you stupid! <laughs> like, something like that. That's, great, how, dude. That's perfect. It actually is pretty fucking like, spot on. Something like that. He does, like, it's good, but no, yeah. we don't, I don't fuck with the snitch. Don't put me in there. Dude, that the, last two, the last two episodes, both of you have been like, you know, I kind of like his music. He sounds good. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I mean, the guy, is, the guy is just the, the epitome I, of new wave rap. He I think sucks. it's amazing that he can be like this. Dude, freak. he's just like, I mean, how about, a, how about the king of New York? Did he you is, see his Instagram video? He's like, you're like, yo, man, you want to come at me? The king of New York. I got this million dollar watch. If you don't have this, blah. I'm like, this guy is fucking crazy. I think crazy. anyone that doesn't give a fuck about that and can be this successful is, I, you gotta appreciate it a little bit. That guy gives zero, zero fucks. You see what your boy Meek Mill said about him? No. He is not a fan. I he, will take Meeks back all day. He, is not, he said, I hope that rat going live to apologize to all the people he told on and the victim. Y'all forgot that fast. A rat killed Nipsey. He wasn't even supposed to be on the streets. So your boy Meek is not a fan of Takashi. Wow. Well, I don't really, you know, is that, by the way, my, my boy, that's just Ruben, how we know Meek. I mean, it is pretty cool. It'd be cool to be like, hey, Meek's my boy, but I, I wouldn't go that far. You guys aren't on boy nickname status? Dude, Meek reposted I, your NASCAR video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the best was DJ Cali tagging me by mistake. Dude, legendary. Legendary. That was amazing. We checked in our story one day. It was like, DJ Cali tagged you. I'm like, whoa. Was this like the all-in like challenge thing? I'm like, this is cool. I look at it, and it was like, 
the kid's wearing a Bob Marley shirt. And he meant to tag Bob Marley, and I fucking ran with that thing. You have to. Dude. Oh, I, I was like, Callie, what's <laughs> up, bro? Tagged him up. I was like, dude, like retweeting on stories, like screenshots, Twitter, boom. Yeah, you're retweeting song coming soon, and it's oh, Callie. Dude. I feel like you thought he was for sure going to be the next guest on the game show. You know what's funny, though? I haven't really misled any of my people at all through things I've promoted, and I feel terrible about this because mm -hmm. uh, this episode was supposed to be with Rudy Gobert. And uh, for me, uh, I sat down with Rudy. We didn't interview him with him for 45 minutes. I thought it was great. I think we were extremely professional. Um, I, I, we did it. He was feeling good about it. Then I think he got a little spooked about it. And uh, we had to talk to his PR people, and they were just, like, not the right time to run it. And, uh, you know, obviously that guy has done, dealt with a lot in the offseason. But we thought it would be a good interview for him to come on to the Zap Podcast and talk about it. I believe we were pretty delicate about it all. And, you know, there are some things that, like, you know, he's taking shit right now for on the Internet for streaming a video game. Yeah. And during, hold on, hold on, during the video game, he told some kid to, like, basically, like, go back to school, pussy. That's how he talks. He goes, go back to school, pussy. And I was like, you know what? I see nothing wrong with that. If some kid, I don't give a fuck how old you are. It's just because there's just, it's clickbait for them to click away because it's another thing that Rudy Gobert might have done wrong, right? And guess what? Rudy Gobert, I don't believe, we were headed this direction anyway. I don't think it just happened to fall on Rudy because he did one dumb fucking thing where he grabbed the microphones by mistake, shouldn't have done it, completely regrets it. But at the same time, I, I will take his back in saying that... You got to chirp the kids? I mean, first of all, yes, you got to chirp the kids if they chirp at you. But just, I just feel bad, you know, because he got, he, he was a fucking idiot during that moment. Yeah. That was fucking dumb, but we didn't know the severity of this. 100%. He's the definition of scapegoat. In these kind of situations, you know, the media will jump on anyone's back to, you know, put a put a logo on on a player and give them the coronavirus juju. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did what he did. It's definitely like he was like the guy, right? Everyone he gets I think he tested positive first even yeah, in the NBA. He did. So it was like, "Oh no shit, like he did this." So it's been a negative run for him. But I mean, you know, hopefully we figure this out, right? No, we'll get it. Well, I mean, look, I, I talked to him. We still want to get an interview out there. It's just at the same time, though, I'm not going to deal with like an athlete or something. And if they're just not going to talk about something completely, I'm like, you know what? I, I love you. I respect your NBA career. But there are times that we have to do our job and mm -hmm. be like, hey, you know what? We want to try and provide the people what they want to hear. Of course. And sometimes when you deal with these athletes and whatnot, and for the most part, everybody's been pretty cool. I understand where Rudy's coming from. He's in the hot seat right now. So he's got to be very careful. Mm -hmm. And what's the reward for him, really, to come on here? I thought it would be kind of make not light of the situation but kind of just you know yeah, turn yeah. into a positive thing and be like show how sorry he was which yeah he and he also donated a half million dollars to charity which he probably should have which is people were pushing him to do and whatnot mm -hmm. which he needs to do and needed to do during that time but i just feel like it was just bad timing for a bad joke that he just has a gay personality obviously he fucks with our shit so he's got kind of this little fucking punny personality probably and Tried to be funny and it just backfired. You yeah. did. You did come with your fastball for that interview, though. You you crushed the interview. I feel like Rudy thought he was going to come on the Zap podcast and talk about Fortnite and uh, you know Instagram models or whatever. And and you came with the heat, Bob, which I was very impressed by. And well, I, I, I wish we could release this episode. Well, I really no, do. No, no, I think that I think it's not like coming with the heat. What I did was I just I, I like to just say the truth. It's like, hey, look, you were put, this whole thing must have been just like from people who. Like, I didn't know a lot about Rudy Gobert. I'm a big NBA fan, right? Mm -hmm. But still, 
Not, not a big you, NBA. You, you asked the questions that had to be asked. I had yeah. to ask it because it's like it's on the news. And guess what? It should be a point where like if somebody if something deal with shit, I want people to hear my voice. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. it depends what platform that's on. Like, do I want it to like you know? So the zapped one could have been a bad look for him. I think maybe been like because we're a more R-rated controversy. Would he sure. rather address it on Sports Center? Would he rather address it on somewhere Fuck like that? that? But I know. But I'm just saying. Like I thought that this net like well net- network that we have here could have been a good place to him to talk about it. I think that. Look it, it is what it is. It was our first. It was our first misfire, though. We did misfire. Well, he can't talk about the NBA right now, so you know. Yeah, and I disagree with you. I don't think that was our misfire whatsoever. We no. can't no, control I that. No, I meant like I misfired. I promoted it early, right? Because I got excited. Yeah, that's I, true. I promoted it. Early. That's what I do because you know what it is. Like it's like the law of attraction. I put it out there yeah. like it's gonna fucking happen. It was a great interview though, so I don't blame you for getting it out there. Yeah. So and it, it's it is what it is, but um, okay, we're we're stressing on it too much. Not stressing is the right word. Just thinking about it too much because I'm, I'm, I want to get that interview back on there. So, Rudy, we're yeah. coming for you. Um, all right, so let's move on to um, we have MJ, uh, the MJ doc that I just sitting down. Bed is fully in the living room, guys. Sorry about that. I know sometimes you probably want to come out and enjoy your living room life here. And uh, no, not happening because it's my bedroom. Yeah, I mean, um, I felt like I was sitting in your closet the other day. Watching yeah. the documentary with you, but yeah, it's yeah. just a couch. It's just a couch. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I thought the documentary actually tied well into all this Rudy Gobert stuff that we just talked about, and it's the media's ability to spin a story. In uh, episode seven and eight of the MJ documentary, we kind of dive into MJ's gambling habits and how the media kind of spun that around, and uh, I think it's interesting to talk about. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I watched it backwards. I watched it eight seven. And then like five, and I'm just kind of watching all over the place. I had no, didn't watch any sequence. It's really good. It's just amazing how like Jordan was just, you know, he just such a competitor. And it sounds so cliche to say, but he was just like, I mean, they just do such a good job with the music in the background, the way it's shot. It's great filmmaking. It's just great filmmaking. And I think that they had, what is that commercial about when they're like, in 22 years, you will see this on. Oh, uh, yeah. 1998, there was a news anchor who said, in 22 years, you will see a documentary on this. Now, did he have information about that? Did he know that this was going to be released? Now, guys, I, I think the internet might be playing you a little bit well, here. No, I, mean, I, I think okay. these, these, are, these are all fake, fake no, commercials. No, I think they gave the camera crew. No. Aaron, these no, are the gave, most fake commercials the, of all time. No, that was during – they gave the camera crew the right to film that season. So I think that's why he said that. No, no. Wait, Aaron, Scott might be right. I trust Scott. No, yeah, situation. you're right. Why would he say 22 years? It's, it's all dubbed over on the mouth. So – uh, I don't know. I knew who, that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I know who that, the ESPN. Sure. I knew we were that. testing you, Aaron, Scott. Yeah, we were testing you, Scott. We oh. knew that. that Yo, was, but I aced that you. one. You paid past that <laughs> one. Aced it. The best part of that documentary, and it was almost sick to me because it's like this guy is so dark and like so competitive. Is when I was thinking of Defensive Player of the Year because of Rudy mm-hmm. when Gary Payton talks about how oh. I shut him down, and Jordan watches that clip and he's fucking he's laughing, laughing in his face. That's bro, awesome. While he's recording to be on his show. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen the Do- Jordan documentary, I don't watch a lot of TV at all. I would strongly suggest do whatever you can to help pass the time. You watch that documentary. It is fucking fascinating. Basketball fan or not, just I have the utmost respect for the guy the way he went about his business on and off the basketball court. Uh, 1,000%. So we didn't get Gobert dies, did we? We did not. But there's somebody else trending in the news right now. Yeah. And it just so happens that we grabbed him for this interview. And we moved him up just a little bit. 
Things are kind of, you know, the universe is putting things in the right way for us here. Tony Hawk has a new video game coming out or is it being revamped? Aaron, Scott, whoever wants to touch on it. Uh, it's being re-released. It's uh, it's the same Tony Hawk that we had as kids. If, uh, if you're a kid in the 90s, you definitely remember Tony Hawk Pro Skater. It's just uh, they're revamping it, remastering it, and it's Tony Hawk 1 and 2. It's going to be released uh, in early September. I couldn't be more excited, guys. No, dude. I mean, I remember I played on my Nintendo 64 because it was a blue cartridge. And I just remember the drop in. You'd go through the glass. Mm -hmm. Great soundtrack. Like it was fucking sick. Dude. The it soundtrack was, was the best part. Of yeah, it. it's and it's it's done amazing since. There's like 14 Tony Hawk games. And so Tony was nice enough to come on with us and to sit down and take us back to the beginning about how his legacy kind of all got started. A little bit of how social media has changed the game for skaters nowadays. I kind of bust his chops and said, "Well, is skating still a big thing." Uh, nowadays and yes it is actually so kind of put me in my place there uh, we are now standing by we are ready to bring in the man the myth the legend without further ado Tony Hawk all right so let's get right to it uh, Tony Hawk I feel like we're becoming pretty good friends here is this our second time in a week I think we've met uh, it is yeah you know it's, it's a whole new world on the interwebs <laughs> when we're all that's the way our main communication is these days right a little strange you're doing a lot of stuff now though i see you uh your name i mean before tony hawk was kind of silent under the radar at least i wasn't seeing a lot of it maybe i've been paying attention to your page more are you doing a lot more stuff now like this social media stuff with this whole quarantine kind of thing going on more interviews like this yeah i mean i've, I've been always been very active on social media i think it's just more that there's a few things that have come to light now, especially with charity work. And I think that that's put me on the radar of especially more mainstream sports news things. Cause uh, I'm, on, I'm on that all in challenge. I did. As and well. I think when people saw me there, it was like, whoa, you know what I mean? I guess they're, I guess they're shocked that a skater is among all the mainstream sports stars, but I was hyped to be invited. So now with, with the all in challenge, I know what I did was I had to be somebody's caddy bitch for their day. So I was, I used to be a golf <laughs> I went back to my roots and I had a caddy for uh, a random person that bid. And it, actually, I was nervous because I was kind of looking a little lame. And then late, the bidding started to kick in. What was your all-in challenge that you offered for the uh, COVID-19 relief efforts? Mine's basically uh, come skate with me. Uh, I offered it to you plus a friend. And uh, it could be a skate lesson or it could be just, you know, hey, come watch us do our thing. And I'll take you to either I have a skate park in my backyard, a little concrete setup. Or I have my big uh, vert ramp that's down the street, or we could go to a public park. It was just sort of like whatever you want to do, as long as we're doing it in this area. And you know, it's it's after all this strangeness has passed. It was kind of a dumb question. I was like, "What is your all-in challenge?" Obviously, it had something to do with skating. I'm like, "You want to go to a movie with Tony Hawk?" It's like, <laughs> yeah. "I'm good." That's it. I'll teach you how to knit. Yeah, perfect. We're all in on that. So, Tony, take us back. Let's go back to the uh, to where this all kind of started. Again, uh, my audience for anybody that hasn't doesn't know Tony. Uh, I don't know how you don't know Tony, legendary skater, um, one of the best video games of all time, by the way, which we'll get into. But when did Tony Hawk pick up his first skateboard? Uh, I was about 10 years old, uh, 1978. My older brother was a surfer, so he skated because that was sort of the extension of surfing at the time, the whole Dogtown era. And uh, he gave me his old board and I just used it for transportation. Like I didn't, I didn't have some great epiphany when I got it. I just, I just enjoyed riding it down the street. And then at some point I got invited to go to a, a local skate park with a friend 
and I got there and I literally saw people flying out of pools and I was like, that's what I want to do. Whatever, however I do that, I, that's, that's it. Like I, I'm, I, I pretty much quit all the other sports I was in within the first year after that. Right. Is, is skating something like, I just wonder, is it like something that, you know, you're kind of born with? Is it like an athletic ability that you need some sort of like uh, the genetics in your system or whatever it is? Did you, did you ever skate? Or no, not? I could never skate. I actually am the worst skater of all time. I've tried it a few times. I can't do it. I can barely do the thing where you kick your leg and get on the board. I don't know what that's called. Is that paddling? No, no that's just pushing. It's fine. Pushing? <laughs> yeah. I can't even I mean, that pushing. Well, yeah, but I don't think, I, I honestly, I don't think anyone's a natural. I mean, very few people. I, okay, I, I take that back. Very few people have been a natural at skating. I was definitely not a natural. I was super skinny, scrawny. Um, I got hurt a lot, like knocked on my front teeth real quickly when I did it. But it was, it's more like, I think it's more, there's sort of a, there's sort of a threshold where you get hurt one time. And that's usually it. Like, I don't, you know, either you quit because you don't want to get hurt again or, or your parents make you quit. What, and for me, when the first time I got hurt badly, that was not deterring me from skating. Like, I, I, I knew I was going to get back out there. I was, I was literally in an ambulance with my teeth out, waking up from concussion, thinking, oh, man, I got to learn how to rock and roll better. Your parents are like, fuck, what is my son doing out here? Were they <laughs> I was actually... I was the youngest of four, so I think I was lucky in that respect that they were just happy that I was staying busy. And it was the 70s, so, you know, it was a little more lawless with what you let your kids do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they just let me, they, they knew I loved it. They, they knew that wasn't going to keep me from doing it, and they knew they couldn't stop me from doing it. So you're 10 years old and you start skating. How long, you know, after obviously you said, you know, you kind of knew, you saw people flying through the air like fucking psychos. You're like, I want to do that. When did you start to be like, all right, I'm pretty fucking good at this thing. I'm pretty good at skating. I think it was around age 13 when I started doing well in amateur contests. And, and I started doing well at, at skate parks that were not my home, that was not my home park. And that was when people started to notice, like, I, I had something because I was doing new tricks. I was literally inventing tricks. And I was still super scrawny, but I could do these maneuvers with my board that no one else can do. And it was sort of, they didn't want to accept it because I was, like I, I said, my, my style was awkward. It was kind of clunky. Um, I had these little weird, they called them circus tricks. But at some point, you couldn't really deny that they were, that they were something new and progressive. And I eventually reached the top of the amateur ranks. I got a sponsor and I went pro at age 14. And that was pretty much that was that was the the signal to me that um that I was doing okay but but when you think about those days turning pro didn't mean a whole lot why is it was that basically because no one was getting paid right no one like there was no there was no career in skateboarding if you got if you turned pro it just meant that that you got free gear and you maybe got your picture in a magazine which is still um, the, for a 14 year old kid which was yeah i didn't care like that was not that was never the goal but first prize for those days was 150 bucks. Perfect. For, for pro. So, so what are the tricks that you're doing at that age? Like 12 years old, what's the biggest trick you can do? Um, I could do tricks where I, where I would uh, maneuver my board. So all the stuff you see in the air where you're like doing flips with your board or you're spinning it, that was the stuff that I was creating. And 
no one else was really trying it or cared about it that much because I was doing, when I first learned it, I was doing it real low in the pool. And then I eventually got my confidence and got some strength. And then I was doing it up in the air. And when I started doing it up in the air, that's when people took notice. Did you have, um, did you have a group of like, you know, like uh, how Adam Sandler has like David Spade, Nick Swartz and his little group of happy Madison production. Did you have a group of skaters growing up that you kind of fucked with that had kind of amounted to the same amount of success? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Who's that crew? Uh, my, my crew, like uh, still to this day, I skate with Kevin Staub, one of my best, my best friends. I skated with him back then. He and I were super skinny weirdos and trying to do new tricks. Um, guys like uh, Steve Caballero, Lester Kasai, Jeff Grosso, you know, that was, that was our, um, that was our era. And we were the young kids that were getting picked on by the older crew that was just pissed that things were changing. Changing and meaning like people were picking up the skateboarding thing. No, people were starting to do tricks on skateboards. Okay. And the old school was the Dogtown crew and you know, their whole thing was how, how gnarly they were, how punk they were, how much style they had. And all of a sudden there's this whole crew of kids that are like, like creating tricks that were starting to beat them in contests. And like one of the dudes actually literally spit on me when I was 12 years old. I thought your first sponsor was Dogtown Skateboards. Is that right? It was Dogtown. Yeah. When I was, when I was 11, um, I was with them for a year and then they went out of business. Was that? <laughs> it didn't tell me. Is that a correlation with the Lords of Dogtown movie? Same, same company. Yeah. So I got in, I was sponsored by Dogtown at the tail end of, of their era. So those guys were already sort of on their way out and then they were trying to get a whole new team. And so there were three of us on the team at the time. Um, and then one day Stacy Peralta called me who was part of Powell Peralta, which was like the most elite team. And he said, hey, I heard Dogtown went out of business. And I'm just some, you know, 11-year-old kid in my house. I go, oh, is that why I'm not getting any skateboards now? Right. And then he said, oh, I'd like to talk to you about riding for the Bones Brigade. And Bones Brigade, I love it. That's it. Like, that was, that was the best team at the time. And he's calling some scrawny little kid from San Diego. I was all in. How did they do the scouting process? There was no social media back then, right? Of like, we could, you couldn't watch tapes or anything like that, right? So how would you- No, you had, you had to compete. You had to go, there were only so many contests. So you had to, you had to just chase those contests because there was no other way to get noticed. No one, was, no one was sponsoring you because of your reputation or because you know, some people think you're good or you got a special trick. You had to compete. You had to do well. It's not like and, you, know, you get 20 million views and people know who you are off one split moment. Oh, you, it's, yeah, it's a totally different, it's, it's a different world now for sure. So when you, uh, let's, let's go fast forward to uh, what big jump here. Uh, the 900 is something that you probably obviously talked about <laughs> over and over again. Huge jump. We're skipping a bunch of, bunch of years here. So take us through that day. We spoke about it briefly on live, but uh, take us through one more time how that day, day kind of went down when you completed the 900. Sure. Well, I'd have to go back to, you know, the, the progression of spinning maneuvers. Like the, the 540 was, was first in, done in 1984. I created the 720 in 95. I tried my first 900 in 1989 and just got laid out literally on my back on the flat bottom of the ramp, looking up like, what have I done? The ambulance and was driving you there or no? Was what's this, that? The same thing as when you were 10, when you get your teeth knocked out, which was worse? Uh, that one, my teeth knocked out was worse. Okay. All right. 
because uh, I woke up in a different place. <laughs> cool. Got it. Makes sense. This one, this one, I just was laying on the ramp like, damn, that was scary. I don't know if I ever want to try that again. Right, right, right. And so fast forward a few years, I started getting more comfortable with spinning. I started trying it actively from the years of, I'd say, 1994 to 1997. Just, I mean, really, like every once in a while, I would just be fixated on it. I'd get someone to try to shoot me on video. And I ended up one time breaking my rib, one time kind of uh, dislocating or hyperextending my shoulder in and out. And then uh, I just sort of gave up on it. Like, I was like, this is just not worth it. And, and attempts. How many failed attempts at the 900 you say if you had a ballpark it? Oh, hundreds. Hundreds. Hundreds, yeah, for sure. What was and, the and also, there were, there were other best trick events in those days. And I would dabble in it even then. I would be like, oh, I'm going to try it for this best trick event. And then just come up short. So when the X Games said they were going to have a best trick, it wasn't really, it wasn't like a big deal. It was just a, an after show. It was like after the competition, a little fun thing that we're going to do for 20 minutes and try some tricks that maybe we've never done before. So going into it, my only plan was to do a trick called a varial 720, which is basically a 720 spin in the air while turning your board an extra 180. That's all I had planned. And I made it about 10 minutes into the event. And it was like, I didn't know where to go from there. Where was this event, Tony? In San Francisco. How many people are watching you at this event do this? Uh, it was, I mean, it's a couple thousand in the stands. Um, but like I said, it was almost like a lot of them had already left because the main event was the competition, the vert competition. And that was over. Now they're like Tony Hawk skating. Who gives a fuck about this guy, right? It was more like, okay, here comes the best trick event. Maybe someone will make something. Who knows what's going to happen, right? Right. And so then when I, after halfway through the event, I did this Varel 720 and I was like, I guess I'll try 900 because that would be the next trick I would like to accomplish in my lifetime. And you failed but over and over again. You've not completed the 900 up until this moment, correct? Never done it. No, it hadn't been done. It's not even anything. It hasn't been done. Mm -mm, no. For the moment, in that moment, you decide to do it. Well, I decided to try it for the crowd. Try it for the crowd. That was my mindset. It was like, well, here's what it looks like. You know, it, here, it was more just like, here you go. This is, this is what I would like to do next. I have no intention of making it. And after about the fourth try, my spin was pretty consistent. That had never happened with me before. Like every other time I tried it, I get one good spin and then and then another three tries later, another good spin. And on this ramp, that particular day was really solid, was, was just perfect. And so every time I tried it, it was consistent. And all of a sudden, I realized that I could see my landing zone. And I had never really spotted it before. Every other time I tried to make it, I just threw it down and hoped for the best. And so as I was starting to see the landing zone, I was like, shit, maybe I can try to make it again. And then... At that point, in my head, I was like, I'm either going to make this or they're going to take me away in an ambulance. Like, those are the only options here. There's no, there's no quitting after this, even if, even if I run out of time. Because right. I don't care. Like, I, I don't care if it counts. I just want to make it. Right. So, you're, so, you, so you do it. You get it. I'm, I'm terrible. Don't, don't blame me here. But do, you're at the top of the ramp. You're like, fuck it. I'm doing this 900. You start the process, whatever that means. My skateboarding terminology is awful. And then finally, you're up in the air, you do the spin a Rooney 900, and you land it. What's the immediate reaction? Uh, disbelief. It was more like that. I, didn't, I couldn't have just made that. 
you know, I've been chasing this for 10 years. Like it couldn't have just happened right then. You knew it, right? When you land it, you know it. I knew it, but I didn't accept it until I was on the other wall looking at all my peers and they were rushing the ramp. That's yeah. when I knew it. You're rushing me. So, I mean, that, that's when it became real. It was like, oh my God, it actually happened. Like I finally figured it out. Um, and, and it was weird because when I learned 720s, I learned it on some backyard ramp in Sweden in 1985 with three people watching me. Right. There were no cameras. You know, there's no great celebration. And all of a sudden, fast forward to this thing that's on ESPN. And it became this thing that people knew about. And, they, you know, it was, it was the first time they had a sports center highlight that was from the X Games. And that was, that was, that was the life-changing moment, would you say? That was your life-changing moment right there? Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, sure. Um, were others changed... attempting to do the 900? Or were you, was there like a race to land it? Or were you the only one going? There were, there were a few of us, yeah. There were about five of us that were chasing it for those years prior to that. And a couple guys got super close. Um, and actually, there was, there was one guy who was a gymnast. And he was the guy that I was watching because I was like, I was like, if, if anyone's going to do it, Sluggo knows how to spin two and a half times. Like he does it literally can do that somersault in the air. So I was watching him try it, but, but none of us really could figure it out. And, and it was more that I finally figured out in that moment at the X, X games, how to shift my weight more to my back foot during the spin. That was the key. Like that was, that was the, everything about it for me. I'm going to nod my head and pretend I know what you're talking about, but yes. <laughs> well, were you kind of just like, fuck yeah, like I was the first one to do it? Or was it just more of like a, like a goal that you accomplished? Yeah. It really was for me. It was more th that it had been accomplished. You know, I didn't. It wasn't about getting the the personal glory. It was more like we finally broke through this boundary. All right. And right after that, um, a few other guys did it. Like uh, one guy in Brazil, Sandro Diaz, was like a month later. He did it at an event. Uh, this guy in Italy, Giorgio Satoni, did it. And all of a sudden, it was like everyone everyone finally knew it was possible, and then we could get there a lot faster. Do you think that's what it was that people said, hey, Tony did it. I'm going to start taking chances and doing it. Yeah. And just the idea that it's finally possible. Right. You know, that's sometimes that's all you need. So what's the next thing after 900? What can you have? Well, there have been, there've been a couple. Yeah. Tony, right? I it's mean, a 1080. I, I, it's a 1080? 1080. So yeah. So a 1080, uh, a couple of guys have done 1080s, uh, but it took a bigger ramp. So the ramp that they're doing it on the one I did it on was 12 feet tall. The ramp that they're doing on is 28 feet tall. Okay. Um, Cause it gives you more, more airtime. Okay. Cause I, I did we get... didn't have ramps that big in my day. Like those didn't exist. No one could afford to build something like that. Right. Cause I, I did get news that, that a 12 year old did a 1080, didn't he? Yeah. Do you know this 12 year old? 1080. What is his deal? Uh, well, he's, he's 20 something now, but. Um, Son? No. Yeah. Oh, all right. that was and, like then, uh, and then Michi Brusco, who uh, is 19, he did a 1260 last year. A 1260? When does it stop? Like a fucking 4950? I mean, when does it stop? <laughs> wow. That one was, that was the, the most ridiculous thing I've seen. All right. So, Tony, let's get off that. Let's, t let's talk about what you probably care for more than uh, a little bit more nowadays is the money. So, hold on. Uh, you know, Tony Hawk, the video game, right? <laughs> yeah. Did very, very well, correct? Yeah. Uh, I would say that changed my life more than anything. The Tony Hawk video game. But the 900 came yeah. before the video game. It did. Yeah, it was all very 
it was like a perfect storm. Uh, we had been working on a video game for about two years prior to that. And when I did that, the video game was released just about three months later, two and a half months later. So what is that call like? Because we've never had it have hap uh, happen to us. Uh, and I don't see it happening anytime soon. But hey, Tony, how you doing? This is so and so we want to make a video game about you. How does that call happen? Uh, it was more that I was pitching a video game with a guy who was writing PC programming code. Yes. He approached me and said, Hey, I got an idea. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's go out, you know, let's, let's go. And so we pitched it to different companies and mostly just came up against like, please, you know, that's no, why, no way. That's why he's so wealthy. He had the idea and went to somebody, somebody didn't come to him. Well, no, but, but here's what happened was that Activision was behind the scenes working on a skate game. They heard that I was pitching a game and this guy that was writing the, the PC code got frustrated and he just quit. He's like, I, I got to go make a living. Like I can't keep doing this with you. And I just said, all right, fine. And then Activision called me and said, Hey, we heard you've been pitching a video game. We're doing one and we'd like you to come see it. And maybe you want to collaborate on this one. And so, so I went up to Activision and, and saw what they were working on and immediately signed on. And was it a thing where they were like, hey, Tony, here's a hefty amount of cash up front that you can take or you can take back end on this video game? Was there, how was that deal structured? That only happened um, when the game was about to get released. It's funny you say that because they didn't have high hopes for it. You know, they thought it'd be okay. And, and I was stoked because I thought it was going to do well among skaters. And then right, right when it was getting released, they called me and said, hey, would you take a buyout of future royalties for uh, $500,000? Did you say no? I did, but it, to me, it seemed crazy. Like I had never heard anyone say half a million dollars before. You know what I mean? Like in my presence. <laughs> so to me, it sounded like we're going to offer you a gazillion billion dollars. Right. So they wanted, to get, they wanted to just say, hey, look, here's a big fat paycheck and you don't own any of the back end of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I was at a point in my life when things were kind of taken off. Like I, my sponsorships were, were growing. Uh, you know, my, my fee for appearances was bigger than ever. And I was like, and I just got in a new house. And so I just said, you know what, I'd, I'd rather take a chance and see what happens. Like, I, I think this is a cool project. What was the uh, word you would have taken the money? And you know me, I have not taken <laughs> one deal yet. I'm banking on my, uh, myself here, uh, which is the right thing to do. So, um, what did the move, what did the video game end up doing total in sales? Do you know? Uh, I mean, total in their net sales was, was over a billion dollars. And obviously Tony Hawk had an amazing, the video game had an amazing soundtrack on it. Did you have any pull on which songs were used during the video game? Yeah, for sure. It was, it was the sound. Most of it was the soundtrack of my youth. Like that's what I grew up listening to at the skate parks was just the old punk bands that were blasting through the intercom system mm -hmm. and uh and so i was trying to bring that vibe to the game mm -hmm. um but i mean they had a really great music department too so they they were pulling in the, the newer bands as well and and it was just a great mix so when does that uh, for all us little entrepreneurs and whatnot watching and sometimes or you don't know when the money's coming in and whatnot when did that first considering you did take the back end on the video game instead of taking the cash up front when did that first big paycheck come in what, from release date? When was the first check that came in? It was like, wow, I made the right fucking decision on this. How long after the game was released? Uh, well, it was, it was pretty steady for the first couple of years. 
I mean, more than I ever made in my life. But at one point when they released the fourth game, the last three were still in the top 10 of sales. So they were still. So like literally we had four games in the top 10 wow. of all video game sales. And that's when I started getting big checks. Now we don't want to ask you too much about the money, but let's just say how long did it take? If you had taken that 500 grand, how long did it take you to make up that 500 grand back since in the release date after the release date? Oh, uh, within the first year for sure. Perfect. So did yeah. you, did you make the right decision, Tony? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Forever. Yes. All, all, all that's going through my head right now is that song. Here I am doing everything I can. You know that one? Yeah, that's the one. That's, that was the breakout hit from the newer bands. Dude, that sure. was my first I know. One. I'm well aware. It's just hearing you sing it. You sound fucking awful. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, won't do that I mean, we need to that, please save that forever, Scott. That clip, and we use that as permanent fucking blackmail. Uh, so, what do you get your hands on right now? So, I mean, you 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 came here after you said I, I just got done a skate. Uh, you were just skating, right? I was. Yeah, I was at my ramp. Are you doing uh, getting a session? What are you doing as far as are you working with, do you own like a skating team? I don't know this world well. So what do you work, what are you working I on? I have a skate brand called Birdhouse Skateboards. Okay. And then I have a team that I sponsor. Uh, and they're some of the, some of the best all around skaters. How does and, that, uh, money? how does that, that, how does a team that you sponsor make money? What do they do? The events and all that stuff? Do you, how does that uh, work? Mostly they make money by have, I have product with their names on it. Okay. So I'll have a birdhouse skateboard of Aaron Hamoki or of David Loy or Lizzie Armanto, who's going to be in the Olympics next year. Very cool. When did you start birdhouse? Weren't you pretty young? Uh, yeah, I, in 1992, I was 24. Wow. I feel like when we do these things, I feel like, like, I'm, like a, Back and a, forth. I feel like I'm a detective. I'm like, Tony, when it's weird doing these podcasts, I still well, can't get the hang of it. I saw that birdhouse when you, when you started it there was a time where it wasn't doing so hot and you were doing skate yeah. shows for like a hundred dollars a day, like three skate shows. Is that accurate? Just like on the, Oh street. yeah. No, that's how I paid my bills. I mean, that's I was doing whatever rate. I could. So is that still your rate right now? <laughs> yes. $100 a minute. <laughs> Can we Venmo you a hundred bucks, Tony, for a quick lesson? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're all in. Who was your, uh, you, did you skate in the Olympics? Uh, well, it's it's in the, the Olympics for the first time uh, next year. Next. Oh, nice. Really? Wow. Very yeah. cool. So it, I, it, that yeah that that window has closed on, on my career, but um, I'm really excited for the for the new generation of skaters that 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 gets to be how they get seen. Now, is the sport of skateboarding? Do you think is it dying right now, or is it on its way up, or where is the the whole state of skateboarding at right now? I think it's I think it's still growing. I think uh, it had plateaued a bit in the last couple of years, not dying at all. I mean, if you look at the abundance of skate parks and people and the sort of a, the diversity of people skating, it's it's really at a steady uh, scene right now. But with the inclusion of the Olympics, girls skating uh, population skyrocketed. That's so that's now there's like literally equal. I mean, I won't say there's an equal ratio, but in the Olympics, there's going to be equal disciplines. In some countries, there's equal ratio of, of female to male skaters. And um, that's a huge change. And I think it's great. Exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. I appreciate it. Well, Tony, pretty plain and simple. That's all we got for you today. We needed a quick little cool. 20 minutes with you to sit down here and use your name to try and boost our own brand without you getting anything of it. And uh, 
you know, hopefully uh, send a couple of 12, 13 year old boy followers or yeah. towards your way here. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. I also read that the uh, the Tony Hawk Foundation, you're building a bunch of skate parks all over, is it all over the country, all over California or? All over the country, yeah. Yeah, we've been uh, doing, we, we, we help support public skate parks in underserved areas. Uh, we've been doing 18 years and help to fund over 900 skate parks now awesome. all over. Is Tony Hawk on TikTok? I, I was for a hot minute, but I, I couldn't. You're like, I'm too rich, I'm out? <laughs> no, it was more like I'm too old. Yeah, but there's six-second clips. You can kind of fake it. You know, you can kind of... Yeah. I, maybe I'll revisit it. I was there for a little bit, but I, I get overwhelmed with all the other, all the other outlets, channels. Right. Yeah, there's just so many. And so it's hard to keep... It's, it's hard to stay active. Well, I'm assuming all the guys under your umbrella are probably on TikTok and, and whatnot, and using that as kind of a way to kind of boost the whole skating... For sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Last question. What's the worst injury you've ever had in your career? I broke my pelvis. Uh, Broke my pelvis, fractured my skull, broke my thumb all at once. That on a 900 attempt or? No, that was on a full loop ramp, like a full Hot Wheels loop 360 ramp. Uh, Yeah, I fell from the top. We we have to get that footage. We're going to have to do a (laughs) comment. It's not hard to find. It's not hard to find. Would we just type no. in Tony Hawk fractured skull? Yep. Yeah. It was, uh, I was shooting, I was shooting with the jackass dudes, wild boys. So, you know, that's what you get. Pay to play. Great group to get involved with uh, those guys. Wild animals. All right, Tony, we appreciate it. We know your time is precious. Thank you so much for sitting down and uh, blessing us is what I will say. All right, man. All right. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you so, so much. Take care. All right. All right, cool. All right, well, we can't thank Tony Hawk enough for coming on the show. I mean, that man is loaded. He's got tons of cash. Maybe one day Peter will have that amount of cash. You know, when I talked about Peter just like this, it kind of brings me a little memory of the old days when uh, we used to go back in the day and we first started to commentate basketball games, and we have a couple uh, earlier memories before we were taken so seriously. When we were grinding in, day in and day out, and we weren't working for a big network like this. You know, we, uh, we have some old footage that we pulled up in a segment. It's called Back in the Day, and I just made that up. So we're going to go with it. Back in the day with Peter and Bob, we have a special video today, and it kind of t- ties into the Jordan documentary going on right now. Play it, Scooty. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. And we are back here in our second game we've ever commentated before in our lives, 1994. The Bulls and the Knicks, you can see and hear the replay inside to Patrick Ewing. That is going to tie things up. And uh, we all wonder as they sit on the sideline, drawing up some sort of game plan. And I tell you what, who's going to take the last shot? It's not going to be Scottie Pippen. He sits down angry, and he's telling Phil Jackson to go fuck himself not good. Anyways, Tony Kukoc looks like the man they might go to. As they inbound the ball, 1.9 left. Gets the ball. Fade away. It is good! My goodness! The white guy has found a way to get it done. And that doesn't happen every day. 
All right, well, uh, by the way, Scott, I feel bad. I remember I was like, let's just do throwback viral moments. We don't have to call it like, the archive tales or whatever when I'm doing these VOs. And I, I, I realized why Scott was so passionate about doing the archive tapes. You built a whole entire trailer song for it? Yeah, I built a whole entire trailer. And, you know, I, I want to give the fans what they want. And I feel like it's, you know, footage of Peter in the early 90s and in the 80s when, you, you know, maybe you guys were doing a couple substances or whatever the fuck you were doing back then. And I think people want to hear uh, the old footage. It still settles in me like i don't believe i have fans is that weird like i don't believe it it just doesn't like it doesn't hit me well you definitely do i think i just have people that like just fuck with my shit like i don't look at it as like fans like that's a weird word i don't think they're fans i think they're fans i think they just fuck with my shit which i love and i appreciate each and every one of you um so anyways yeah i mean scott we could call it the archive could footage you, could you clear that up the difference between a guy that fucks with your shit and a fan <laughs> i don't know it's just, I, I feel like ariana grande or something when they say fans like i don't know i just want to be like just chill with people i believe that i'm a i'm not a guy that I just Why does wanna... she come to mind? Because been... I just see, I just, well, I mean, the, the Instagram last uh, alert was Ariana Grande posted a new picture of herself. Wow, you got those alerts. I on, mean, huh? she's, she's a beautiful girl. Ariana Grande is uh, definitely up there for me as far as uh, potentially one that. Uh... Same, man. She yeah. is, she is uh, yeah, drop dead else. gorgeous. I know, I know, Aaron. I well, know. dude, that fucking last guy got him. Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson's the man, though. Pete Davidson's the man. He's he a funny really personality. Is. He's a good. He's. I like Pete. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe a uh, Scooter Braun can throw in a little help there. Scooty. Scooter. Actually, we're hoping to have on the podcast soon. Scooter's a uh, diehard Jets fan. Feel bad for him, but uh, Scooter obviously with Justin and Ariana Burke with both of them, and hopefully we talk to him about getting him on here. He uh, he's a busy guy, and uh, but it would be an honor to have uh, Scooter on here. He's a he's a great dude. Hopefully, it's not the same uh, Rudy Gobert situation. Ah, no, no, no. Scooter will Scooter is not uh, really under the uh, microscope too much except for that one little incident that i think i cleared up true um all right so we are now uh heading straight towards voicemails my favorite segment uh gentlemen uh, are we ready to hear what kind of derelict degenerate callers called in the air today they absolutely are here let's we go it. let's roll it hey bob uh quick question was just wondering how old you were when you first lost your virginity and also I don't know what cute means, but uh, I remember I was a senior in high school. I think I was 17 years old, 18 years old. I was hammered, and uh, some girl, actually, believe it or not, I think, took advantage of me. It was kind of weird. I was a a pussy back in the day. I was like 95 pounds. Not saying I'm like, you know, anything to talk about right now, but I was a little guy, and uh, so I was a late bloomer, and uh, it was was New Year's Eve. Got brought upstairs, and... uh, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Did you bust out the voice or did you not need it? Yeah, I was like, you take your pants off. I'm about to take out the anaconda. No, I can't. No. I've never done that voice before ever in anything sexual related. Just let everybody know. Moving on. What's up, Bob? Uh, I was just wondering, after watching some of The Last Dance, your opinion on the LeBron James, uh, Michael Jordan goat conversation. Also, where do you think Kobe Bryant weighs in? All right, let me know. I think there are three uh, extremely talented players. I think I have to give Michael Jordan the uh, crown, though, especially after seeing the documentary. I think that Jordan has the bigger heart, I guess, than LeBron does. I don't know. Aaron's giving me a weird look right now, but I don't know. Look, they're all great basketball players. I feel like I don't want to answer that because I don't know. I, I, I'd like If I had to pick one to take the last shot during the most critical part of the game, I'm taking Michael Jordan, and uh, that's where I'll leave it. Aaron, no comment? No, I'm not even going to give you As a big Braun guy, you don't want to defend your boy? I love LeBron, but, dude, it's hard to watch that MJ documentary and just not fuck with that guy. Yeah, Yeah. no, it was set up perfectly in his favor. There was no bad. And it's just such a different game now, dude. Like, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can't even compare him. 
I also think that to, that just topic of conversation is so overkilled at this point. Like, know, does anyone really care about that? We still ask it in like every podcast. But anyways, <laughs> moving on. Hey, Bobby, what's going on? Uh, Colin from South Carolina. I was just wondering if you could be a professional athlete in any sport, what would it be and why? All right, thanks. Love you, Bob. I uh, love you, too. Love you, too. I would have to play uh, golf. Golf, least damage to your body. You're just chilling out in the sun all day. It's you. Everything's on you. Every mistake that you make out there is on you. You fucking drain a 20-foot putt to win the Masters. I mean, I've dreamed about it, but it'll never happen in my life. It sucks. I have to fucking admit it. Maybe the senior tour. Nope. That's not going to happen. Never? No. No. uh, But I'd have to say golf. I think golf would be pretty pretty badass to be a pro golfer and win the fucking Masters. That'd be pretty sick. Yeah, golf is good. Personally, I would be a starting pitcher. only have to work four days, you know. Every month, essentially, one time a week. They'd be like, breaking news, Scott Wilson was hammered on the mound today, unfortunately. Actually, doing our inner Brockmeyer, me and Hank Azaria have been talking back and forth here, and uh, I'm starting to get better at his Brockmeyer impression as he's trying to do my impression. <laughs> uh, I, I'm excited. Hank, we've, uh, we, we, we are dying to work with you, and we can't wait to bring Hank Azaria and Bob Mattery together. Next voicemail. Hey, Bob, I tell you what, I'd really like to see one of those shirts that, or hats or beanies, wherever the hell y'all got, that John Daly was talking about. I'd like to have a Griffin and Ripperman Goose uh, cut-off T-shirt. I think that'd be just wonderful. Yeah, so would I. I don't know. I just think that Johnny's going to want 99% of revenue generated towards his T-shirts. But, no, I don't know. John and I are looking to look at – we're looking to play some golf. We're looking to take on some competitors this year, and you never know what kind of merch collaboration will come on. Right now, our merch just remains, and thank you for leading me into this advertisement, www.bobmentary.com is where you can find all our merch. Now, we're not going to give John Daly's merch plugs anymore. We did enough of that in the first episode while hammered. But uh, John does have good merch, but ours is better, just like Buffalo Wild Wings being better than Hooters. www.bobmentary.com. Love that voicemail. Bob Mettery Squirrels here. Uh, quick question for you. Uh, how the hell does Aaron ever get laid? And uh, what is your favorite fast food restaurant after a night of zappers? Oof. We'll see you later there, Bob. Cheers, buddy. Okay, well, see you later. That's a question that's all over the place. You asked about a fast food where I like to fucking eat or something, and how many times Aaron pounds chicks all right uh aaron's a very busy guy i don't know i don't really know he sneaks out at night once in a while i don't know if he's just beating off in his car or if he's actually going to hook up with a girl i'm not sure uh so we'll uh, i'll let you know i guess but uh, uh for the fast food thing on zappers i mean i guess you gotta go with the big mac i never eat fast food really though anymore i'm trying to stay a little bit healthy mcdonald's is not fucking good it's gross sorry to shots fired at mcdonald's but uh Hits the spot once in a while, but uh, not good. Before you went super viral, you used to do videos at the McDonald's drive-thru, did you not? That's why I hate them so much, because they don't like me there. Every, no, I'm just kidding. I used to do, yeah, yeah. You never saw those videos? Oh, I did some videos at Those McDonald's. were very early Bob Menery If you days. go to the beginning of my Instagram, it's one of the first like three videos on my Instagram. I was just pranking McDonald's in a broadcaster voice. Yeah, yeah, this is the beginning of, yeah, this is like pulling out of my mom and dad's house, like just being like, hey. I think these were actually, you used to post these on Facebook, like before you even had an Instagram. I think so, yeah. In different videos. We can pull them up whenever, yeah. You know what? I'll uh, I'll dub in the audio of one of your McDonald's drivers. Well, why not? Let's do it. Love, love to go back to those moments. Let's do it. 
Can I help you? Yeah, can I get a large Jay Cutler in the Pro Bowl, please? I'm sorry, what? Can you guys make sure you vote for Jay Cutler to go to the Pro Bowl? It's very, very important to the Mentory campaign. We've been working on it across the board, so we just want to make sure Jay Cutler goes to the Pro Bowl. Okay. So can you guys promise me everybody at McDonald's is going to make sure Jay Cutler goes to the Pro Bowl? Because he sucks, he blows, he made $10 bucks last year, he's the worst quarterback in the league. We don't Thank you. What? I don't follow sports, so I really don't get that one. Not gonna uh, lie to you. Yeah, that's all right. But anyways, so you're gonna do me a favor. You're gonna go to NFL.com. You're gonna follow Jay Cutler, right? I mean, uh, I mean, vote for him. I mean, if you would like us to. Oh, you're the fucking best. I love you. I don't want anything. I'll see you. Later. I do. I like it. I like it. All right, good. Next, or are we good? All right, that's it. Beautiful. Woof. No more voicemails. Thank God. Uh, it was a pleasure. I didn't know if I could do this podcast today, but Aaron saved me. He brought me in an orange salmon bomber. If anybody knows what that is, oh, the emergencies uh, only, but we got the podcast done there, Stiggle Bomber. All right, Scooty Wilson, pleasure to have you here. Aaron Steinberg, Bob Mannery, guys, we appreciate all the support. Tony Hawk, episode six is in the books. We're moving on to episode seven. I'd like to tell you who it is, but I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid they might pull out now. So we're going to just let you know as the episode drops, maybe a little tease with it. Enjoy and get zapped. Peace.